you're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, as always, if you can't listen to the entire conversation here on Detroit Today, you can always go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to the Detroit Today podcast. You can take us with you and listen when you are ready. It's hard to frame the significant histories of black people in Detroit in a single month. That is a recurring problem with the idea of just one month and, of course, the shortest month of the year for Black History Month. From the Great Migration to the creation of unions and the black middle class to the civil rights movement and Malcolm X, millions of black Detroiters have been the brushstrokes in a detailed portrait of black history here in America. Today, we're going to look at a few of those marks left on the Impressionist work of time, all with familial ties to Wayne County Executive Warren Evans. Uh, lots of people know who he is, of course, uh, because of his important political position, but I don't know that everybody knows uh, the history that produced Warren Evans uh, for us here in Southeast Michigan. So, Warren Evans, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, it's a very rich history, and we could probably spend an hour uh, just detailing uh, the, the, the things that you've seen and, and witnessed and experienced. Uh, but, but let's start with uh, your relationship uh, to Albert Klieg Jr., uh, one of the most prominent and aggressive civil rights leaders in Detroit during the 60s and 70s, the leader of the Shrine of the Black Madonna and founder of the Black Slate. Yeah, and uh, I kind of grew up right in the middle of the civil rights movement, you know, in my early teens. And uh, uh, the Shrine of the Black Madonna was the catalyst for uh, black activists who came to Detroit Mm -hmm. during the civil rights movement. And, you know, I mean, everywhere from, I mean, obviously uh, Martin Luther King and and Malcolm X, but, you know, Ron Karenga and H. Rap Brown and Stokely Carmichael and uh, anybody who was, you know, coming to town uh, to stoke the civil rights movement uh, came through the church. So I got a chance as a kid to see and be around, sit at the basement steps and listen as they had discussions. <laughs> of a fascinating period. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think about our history here in Detroit and I think about other folks who had sort of front row seats uh, to, to, to that history. Aretha Franklin always comes to mind, uh, given the, the things that, that, that her dad did, and there are lots of other people. And I always am, am curious about how much that influences you as a, as a kid. I mean, uh, things look different to children than they do to adults, uh, and there's not always a sort of full understanding of the importance of what you're witnessing. Uh, t- talk about what impression all of that left on you yeah as a kid i knew i was witnessing history (laughs) but i had no idea the total significance because it was right in the middle of uh you know many of the activities that were going on then but i was always fascinated as as a kid with what grown folks had to say and so when the grown folks were uh were talking and and for a while we had a uh, a family newspaper, uh, pretty much family, called the Illustrated the News. The Illustrated News, right. Uh, and it was printed for a while in the basement uh, of our house. And so, you know, how it is around printing plants and you're getting stories out late. There are always <laughs> people in there arguing, whether it was Coleman Young or or others, and they're talking. I don't mean arguing, like fighting, right. but I mean just talking <laughs> over issues and those sorts of things. And while, I, you know, I was just be- beginning to start to understand the issues, I love to sit at the, the foot of the basement steps and just listen to them talk and 
the commitment to civil rights, the commitment to making things better. I, I mean, I, I know that that's why I'm doing what I do now. Yeah. I mean, it's just not consciously decision. It's just public service has always been something that was, you know, cast in very, very high esteem in my family. And uh, I think I've always gravitated to whether it was law enforcement or, or, or other related jobs. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other part of this that, that always strikes me is the importance that Detroit and black Detroit played in the national narrative uh, that, that, that powered the, the civil rights movement. Uh, I'm not always sure that, that people quite remember that this wasn't just another city with African-Americans in it, uh, but, but it, was, uh, it was sort of ground zero for a lot of, especially the intellectual power behind the civil rights movement. And, uh, and Reverend Klieg is re- really at the, at the center of a lot of that. And certainly at the, uh, the more aggressive core of that. I mean, one, one thing that always stuck with me is the families who uh, were actively involved in civil rights and had good relationships with each other. Weren't always on the same page, but whether it was C.L. Franklin or uh, Nick Hood uh, or uh, Horace Sheffield mm-hmm. or, you know, those, those families have been intertwined in the, the civil rights struggle forever. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, have partnered when they needed to, uh, have argued and fussed with each other about direction uh, when they didn't. But there's never been a, a concern in my mind that they weren't all committed to uh, equal rights for everybody and worked very hard at it. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Warren Evans. He is the Wayne County executive. Uh, we are talking about his deep family roots here in Detroit's black history. This is, of course, Black History Month, and uh, we are trying to cram in as much as we can in the 28 days that we have to talk about the importance of the African-American story, especially right here in southeast Michigan. Uh, Warren Evans has an unusual connection to that story here in Detroit, familial connections to uh, some of the people who were at the center of the civil rights movement, some people who were among the first uh, to do different things here in the city. Uh, do you have deep familial ties here in Detroit that stretch into interesting places in our city's history? Maybe you have grandparents who lived in Black Bottom. Uh, do you have a notable pastor or an activist or a businessman in branches of your family tree? If you do, call and uh, share your stories with us, uh, 313-577. 1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, uh, Dunbar Hospital is also part of uh, your family history, and that's also along the the Klieg line. Talk about uh, how important that was. Uh, just... Uh as an aside, just rich history in this city, period. Yeah. And I'm just amazed at the number of people who can call and say, <laughs> we've been, you know, and, and, and that's, it, it is a collective. Yeah, Dunbar yeah. Hospital was one of the first, if not the first, uh, black hospital uh, in the city of Detroit. Uh, and the interesting thing is why it was formed, mm-hmm. uh, because we certainly had, you know, a cadre of black physicians, my grandfather being one of the founders of Dunbar Hospital. Uh but it was because black doctors were not allowed to put their black patients in white hospitals. Right. Now, the patient could go because money's always king. Right. <laughs> right. But, but the but black the doctor, doctor would have not. to turn over his practice or his uh, attendance of that patient while they were in the hospital. Yeah. And of course, that was patently unfair. 
uh, and patients didn't want her to like it either. I mean, it's just pure, you know, racism at its at its at its core. And so, a group of doctors got together and formed a, a, a hospital solely for the purpose of being able to have the continuity of care with their patients from, uh, you know, their offices through surgery and right. hospitalization and, and yeah. rehab. And that and it's it's thought of now as helping to produce that first generation of uh, uh, of doctors who were able to practice under integration. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, Dr. Batchelor and folks like that uh, here in Detroit who were around when I was a kid uh, sure. in the 70s and 80s. They sort of traced their roots to to that Dunbar experience. Sure. I mean, in, in so many doctors, uh, Dr. Hollowell, others. I mean, I, once you name one, it just it almost <laughs> makes it a punch. But, you know. Dr. Wright. Dr. Sherman, Dr. Harris, you know, just uh, black physicians who came along as the next generation after my grandfather. Uh, that obviously were able to uh, start to be the people who could break ground on uh, getting staff privileges right. at what were predominantly uh, white hospitals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in that time, also uh, the segregation extended to not just to hospitals but to everything. Also, vacation spots uh, and Idlewild is one of the uh, the places that African Americans could go to to vacation. You. Are one of the people who uh, who has memories of that place. Well, grew up there and have memories uh, like back to last summer. I mean, it's <laughs> it, you know, uh, my mother was a school teacher, so when we got out of uh, when she got out of school at the uh, at the end of the school year, we'd go and stay the summer. And yeah. So it was one of the only, probably the only in the beginning, uh, black resort area uh, where black people could come and buy property and live next to other black people that they enjoyed seeing. And, it, and it's amazing because even to this day, uh, the United States is covered in Idlewild. I've, I've had neighbors from Indianapolis, <laughs> New York, Albany, uh, uh, Oklahoma City, uh, you name it, right? Black people from all over the country uh, <laughs> talk came about Iowa, right? And, 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 and came and, and the generations after them came. So it's still a meeting place. Uh, for even folks my age that uh, get a chance to see other people that uh, we grew up with who are now have their grandchildren right, up right. there uh, yeah. and talk about the history and the fun we had growing up. Yeah. Uh, how important right now uh, do you feel like this history sort of is in the period we're in in the city? I feel like this is a transitional period of sorts in Detroit and on a, a number of fronts, and I'm always sort of thinking about how that history ought to be informing the way we think of the city and think of things like opportunity and fairness uh, as things do change. Yeah, I, I think there's no question that two things are occurring. One is that we look on the national scene now, uh, and some people at least are understanding there was probably less progress than they thought. Uh, there's certainly some regression in the values and the things that we think are important. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, I think that's happening. Uh, and, and I think this whole idea of, you know, whether we have one Detroit or two Detroits and who's going to be included uh, in Detroit's growth. I mean, the, there is a significant underclass in Detroit uh, that is getting worse as people being left at out. the top yeah. get better. And you don't have a city that's inclusive of everyone until you get into to doing that. And sometimes just the idea of creating opportunities doesn't hit it. You, the idea of creating opportunities implies that there are people ready to seize those opportunities uh -huh. when that occurs. And sometimes when you have a significant underclass and you have issues of 
mental health and issues of substance abuse and issues of poor education system for a long period of time, it, you can't level a playing field unless everybody on the playing field is level. Right. Uh, and so and you have to take very, very decisive actions to do that. I think there's uh, this sort of disturbing trend of people believing that that sort of that will happen passively. If we fix these other problems, that will come along. And it doesn't really work that way. In our world, uh, power of any type is never seated graciously. Uh, there's always a yin and a yang, a, a push me, pull me that's necessary to keep the system honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are always going to be people who are uh, less a part of the process than others, and it's got to be an ongoing struggle to make sure that doesn't continue to happen, even though it will, but yes. you can move in the right direction. <laughs> right, right. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Brian in Ann Arbor. Brian, welcome to Detroit today. I was just calling to add in about um, my, my story locally, just having uh, paternal and maternal grandmothers who are both uh, descendants of uh, escaped slaves on the Canadian side of the border who kind of have family histories that transcend both sides. Huh. My paternal grandmother having been uh, descendants of the J- John and Jane Freeman Walls, which is one of the sites on the near Windsor on the Canadian side. On the Canadian where, side, right. Yeah, yeah, interracial couple in the eight, eight, 19th century who came and could only marry legally in Canada at the time. And there's kind of there's a family story there that transcends both sides of the border and kind of, you know, in our experience, you know, being growing up around Southeast Michigan, Detroit and outside, um, just kind of seeing that even earlier example of how you all mentioned there being conflict, you know, the Civil War and um, enslaved folks having to escape kind of fits right into that example of keeping keeping the system honest, even back then, when it, it, whether it was by, you know, uh, escaping and getting your freedom yeah. by leaving or fighting in the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian, talk a little about how that story gets uh, relayed, I guess, uh, to, to, to people in your family today and th- the influence of it. Oh, yeah, it, it absolutely does. So on my maternal uh, grandmother's side, so my mom's family, there's a Buxton homecoming every year where we go back to Canada to, to visit w- with family uh, over Labor Day weekend. It's been a few years since I've last been, but it's something that celebrates that, that heritage and that history of, right. of, of, of finding freedom. Um, earning freedom um, by by leaving uh, you know the shadows of slavery. Yeah. That's one way in which it's mem- memorized, remembered um, regularly. Yeah, Brian, thanks very much for the call uh, and the stories. Uh, go ahead. I'm, I'm sure Brian must remember a number of families. It just brings back. It makes you smile when you start to talk about <laughs> the Shreves, the Van Dusens, uh-huh. the McDonalds. There uh-huh. are so many African American families from the Underground Railroad and taken up permanent residence and generations later uh, in Canada. I know as a kid, we couldn't wait for Sundays to go roller skate in Chatham. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, it was the, you know, the, the roller rink uh, and, you know, many Detroiters with uh, roots and ties to families there in Canada. There were people of color. It was a, it was a great experience. Detroit yeah. has a very, very rich history that, like you said, is it, it really black history is American history. Unfortunately, we try to condense it into 28 years. <laughs> 28 eight, days. Except right. for leap year. Huh? <laughs> right. And uh, that's, right. that's, that's, that's yeah. probably not the best way to yeah. look at it. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Cassia in Detroit. Cassia, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, I'm Cassia Barthwell Evans, and huh? thanks for having <laughs> such an interesting program. Yeah. I wanted to kind of talk about the contribution of my father, particularly Sidney Barthwell, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. who owned 13 drugstores, patent medicine stores, and uh, had his own ice cream company, 
was part of an era of African-American business persons in the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was president of the Booker T. Washington, what was then Trade Association, later Business Association, and the black business persons would come together and meet at the Lucy Thurman Y and help each other. Uh, They formed, there wasn't a a lot of capital, so they formed the Victory Loan and Investment Company to kind of give each other opportunities for capital. Two other interesting tidbits is he was a delegate to the Michigan Constitutional Convention in the 60s, and they were not going to seat Coleman Young because they felt that he was too radical. And he stood up as a prominent businessman and said if they didn't seat Coleman Young, he was going to make sure that they couldn't seat, and I've forgotten the Republican who he felt uh, shouldn't be seated. And so Coleman Young remained a friend. I'm also in the process of writing his story. And I think the other thing to uh, Mr. Evans' point is the fact that many don't remember that the first uh, Freedom Fund dinner came about because of African-American physicians like Alf Thomas and others who uh, learned about a lynching in Ohio and then came together to fundraise for the NAACP. And that dinner now, of course, is the largest fundraiser in the country. Right. Kosia, thanks very much for the call. Of course, I recognize your name. I really appreciate you listening and calling in. Okay. Uh, Warren Evans, uh, Wayne County Executive, thanks very much for being here and sharing these personal stories with us. It's been fun. I'm going to be thinking about uh, Barthwell pharmacies the rest say, of the afternoon right? i mean just right. it, you know it's uh, it's just a rich history and yeah. it's uh, yeah. so glad it's to be a everywhere part of it. right yes. yeah okay that's gonna do it for me today i'll be back tomorrow i hope you will too this is 1019 wdet detroit's public radio station the community service of wayne state university we'll see you tomorrow